This is Encounters, a dialogue that brings you multifaceted life stories you don't want to miss. We were told that if we dug a hole from where we lived and dug all the way through the earth, eventually when we came out the other side, we'd arrive in China. I like the energy of Beijing and of China. You can feel the electricity in the air. You can feel the forward movement. You can feel the change. On many levels, I'm happier in Beijing because I have new challenges and new opportunities here that I didn't have before. I'm grateful for those and because China as a whole is so big and so diverse. The only thing I would have done over is I would have taken that course in Chinese law See? and studied Chinese <laughs> back then because I'm extremely jealous of foreigners here who speak Chinese. It actually, it makes me angry. He always wears a broad smile and an outrageously loud jacket. He walks with slow strides, but he thinks quickly. When I asked him how he came to settle down permanently in Beijing, he said with a sly smile that it's because he is always keen to pursue new, different things. And right here in the Chinese capital, the old boy in his 70s is fascinated by this ancient but dynamic city which combines historical heritage and modern arts. Hello and welcome. I am Manling in Beijing. My guest today is Harvey Zoding, a senior research fellow at the Center for China and Globalization and former legal advisor in the Carter administration. If you regularly listen to our program, you will be familiar with him. Harvey serves as a commentator and a columnist for China Plus and other English language media in China, specializing in Sino-US ties and international relations. This time, Harvey is talking to us about China. His connection with China started with the signals from Radio Peking that he received on a shortwave radio when he was young. This is Radio Peking. This is Radio Peking. In a previous uh, interview, you were describing that when you were a little boy, you received a signal from a little radio box, which is Radio Peking, and the tune of Dong Fang Hong, The East is Red. And I'm thinking, you know, as a little boy, this far away signals of China, what was the first reaction you got my, to it? Oh, my first reaction was hey, this is so far away from Michigan, uh, where I lived at the time, and it was so different than anything that I had encountered before, so unlike my life in America, and so Asian, so foreign in so many respects. And it bore no relationship to the CRI 
of today. It was a different time, of course. This would have been in about uh, 1959 or 1960, and uh, the world was much different then. China was much different then, mm-hmm. and the concerns and the things that were discussed were much more political, not so much about life, but about polemics. I want you to use some adjectives to describe, you know, then what sort of reaction, surprise, shock, and curious, you know, all these things. Do you still remember the content of the sound signals that reached a little mind? So before that, did you know about China? Not very much at all. All that I knew was that we were told that if we dug a hole from where we lived and dug all the way through the earth, eventually when we came out the other side, we'd arrive in China. And then if you imagined as a little boy, if you did dig a hole and then you arrived in China, will you be scared to death? Will you be feeling insecure? Will you be feeling like, oh my goodness, I, like Alice in Wonderland, I, I ventured into an unknown territory that I'm going to die. Do you have such feelings No, then? I think it's more like Wizard of Oz that you're not in Kansas anymore, uh, that you're in a a new place. And uh, the other thing I would have felt would have been that I'd want to bring uh, a lot of food with me because our parents always told us, eat all your food because there are people starving in China. Do you have uh, Chinese immigrants that you came to know when you were little in Detroit? Nobody that I knew well because there were so few Chinese uh, immigrants, but we did have Chinese restaurants. And because the part of Detroit I grew up was full of uh, Jewish people, Chinese restaurants was like our second cuisine, especially at Christmas when nothing else was open. Chinese restaurants were open. And I read an article some time ago about a book written by a rabbi. The whole book was about the relationship between Jews and Chinese people. And there was one quote that stuck out in my mind about that. The rabbi said that Jews and Chinese got along so well is that Jews could go to Chinese restaurants. And it wasn't only that the restaurants were open, but the Chinese people's minds, their mentality, their welcome was open as well. We've treated Chinese people so badly in our history. Uh, And Jewish people have been treated very badly in our history, too. Are we pitying each other? No, no, no. We're 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 looking (laughs) sympathize with each other. We're sympathizing with each other. Sympathizing, yes, that's the word. But also, we're we're looking at uh, sometimes misery loves company, Mm -hmm. and we're also Mm -hmm. looking at um, ultimate, we hope, survival skills. Yes, indeed. So. uh, I once wrote an article about how Jews and Chinese people have a lot in common, and we do. Um, we, uh, we love family. Mm-hmm. We love education. Mm. Uh, we love money. We are good at calculating money. Yes, so are we. <laughs> and we also have some cuisine that's very similar. And we uh, have to wisdom. Uh, we have wisdom. Wisdom in thinking, ancient in living, wisdom, ancient wisdom. Yes. Which is... We inherited. We inherited and has stood the test of time. Yes, indeed. 
The radio station Harvey listened to, Radio Peking, was founded in 1941. It was the precursor of China Plus, so Harvey was one of the earliest listeners to our broadcasts. It was these signals from China that planted the seed of curiosity in his young mind. The older he grew, the more he became interested in this remote Asian country. In 1978, China launched its reform and opening up policy. The following year, Beijing and Washington established a former diplomatic ties. Since then, people-to-people exchanges between the two countries have gradually improved. In 1988, Harvey embarked on his first trip to China. Well, the first time I came to China was in 1988, and I can tell you. It was completely different from today. Unfortunately, many Americans still have this image of China that was more than the now. So millions of bicycles on the street, and only low buildings, and quite really, I'd say backwards. Or I guess a good diplomatic word is、uh, very traditional. What made you to come to China? Did you bring anything that you think that China would be lacking then? Yeah, the reason I came to China then was that I was every year going to some exotic place, like the year before, to go on safari to Kenya. So it's、But、adventure. You it's wanted an adventure, to adventure to some, you know, it, something wild,、uh, something so. Different than our own existence back in New York at that point, and yeah, we were advised to bring like canned food, like tuna fish and things, because、uh, maybe we wouldn't find food that、uh, we found、uh, edible or that was too strange for us. So, and I did bring tuna fish, but now we don't have to bring it. You have、uh, fresh tuna yeah, fish yeah, now, right? Fresh tuna fish, and、mm-hmm. even uh, uh, sashimi. Use some,、um, maybe three words to describe the color of the city. I think the first city is Beijing, right? You arrived in nineteen eighty-eight. Right. What color it was in?、Uh, gray. See, and people are wearing blue, gray. Right. Black, right? Right. There was a great uniformity to the city. The same millions of flying pigeon brand bicycles. The same、uh, we call them Mao jackets. And so、uh, it was gray. Gray is the one color that comes. And how to my was、mind. the、uh, color of people's spirit? You use a color to describe people. If they're happy, then it should be sunshine. You know things like that. How is the mood? How is the spirit? Were people spirited, happy, sad? You know. Well, unlike today, when we can either directly or through WeChat or whatever talk to anybody we want about just about anything that we want, then、uh, there were. Real barriers between foreigners and Chinese people. We used separate money. We were kept separately in groups, and、uh, we coupons, not, right? Yeah, even, coupons, right?、Yeah. I think they were called ICO. Yes, and Huai Hui Juan in Chinese,、okay. right?、Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, I can't answer your question. China's reform and opening up was entering its tenth year. 
Harvey saw that China was a less developed country than the United States. But Chinese society itself was already open for people to consume foreign products, even though at the time, American fast food Kentucky Fried Chicken was considered a luxury meal that would cost a family half a month salary. People also had access to foreign films and they could see foreign visitors coming to China, either in organized tours or to do business. In 1988, more than 31 million foreign tourists visited China. The number had almost tripled when Harvey visited Beijing again in 2003. This time, he decided to stay. That was 1988, and after 15 years, you decided to come and you settled down. What made that happen? Uh, I wouldn't say I settled down because I'm too active. But, uh, oh, you were running yeah. everywhere still, huh? I came back in about uh, 2003 and uh, saw that China had advanced centuries since 1988 in so many ways on so many levels. And because of that change, it seemed like a really exciting place to live. And even though uh, my wife is born in Shandong, she's an Austrian citizen and lived in Vienna. So I tried living in Vienna. Vienna is really a beautiful city. And it's got so much history, and it has so much culture, but it's quiet. And I like the energy of Beijing and of China. You can feel the electricity in the air. You can feel the forward movement. You can feel the change. And so I feel very much at home here. And even though as the vice president of ABC, I had many opportunities to go back to the White House and meet movie stars and this kind of thing, on many levels, I'm happier in Beijing because I have new challenges and new opportunities here that I didn't have before. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful for those and because China as a whole is so big and so diverse. I go to new cities almost every month. They're cities that most people in America never heard of, and I haven't heard of most of them either. Because in America, if you have a city that's a couple million people, it's a big city. In China, it's a village. So you have to get up to uh, 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 million people before you start talking a so, real city. I know. And so this is China. As we say, we foreigners say, T-I-C, this is China. T-I-C, this, this is, is China. China. It's the robust and vitality, you know, the dynamic part of China that attracted you. But I wouldn't really buy that. I think it's the lady who attracted you to come to China. And, no, it's and, not that true. Really? She liked Vienna. Sometimes when she gets mad at me, she says, I'm going back to Vienna. So I have to say that she was happy in Vienna, but she came back to China for me. And so I'm very grateful for that. And She's going out and you are coming back. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Mm -hmm. So... 
I like our uh, life here very, very much. And if you ask me, what's your routine every day? I couldn't tell you because every day is different. That's what I like about it. Every day is a different uh, excitement or challenge or interest. And uh, this is uh, what I thrive on. So when I do say that I never grew up, I'm still growing on the Chinese experience. Now in his 70s, Harvey calls himself a boy who hasn't grown up yet. He is willing to embrace a life full of excitement, challenge and interest. The only thing that hinders him is probably the language barrier. Although he has been living in Beijing for more than 15 years, he can't speak much Chinese. Can you speak Chinese? No, Zhang Wen Bu Hao. Only a little? No, we're not even a little. The only thing I would have done over is I would have taken that course in Chinese law See? and studied Chinese <laughs> back then because I'm extremely jealous of foreigners here who speak Chinese. It actually it makes me angry. He may not be a good Chinese speaker, but Harvey is a jack of all trades. In fact, that's the label on his LinkedIn page. As well as his role as a commentator, Harvey is often invited to different art events. Wearing Chinese-style suits in different colors, he always steals the limelight. When I invited him to the program, Harvey told me he wanted to wear something colorful. As I expected, he chose his favorite Chinese quilted jacket, a pink one, which he designed himself. Were you trained in any form of art? Not trained in it, but uh, I love the... You love it, I love I know. art. And that's why another reason that I like uh, living in Beijing and in China, I have to concede that Shanghai is a more artistic city than Beijing. But Beijing, in terms of individual art, art galleries, and creativity in art communities is higher. And so I like to go to 798 because it's not only art that we think of as art, it's wearable art like, uh, you know, design clothing. Mm -hmm. The one you're wearing today. Well, I designed that. That's not done by any artist. (laughs) Okay. Um, But there's uh, boutiques, Uh uh, there's uh, design uh, center called D Park, mm-hmm. and lots of businesses that deal with creativity. So I like that very, very much. And uh, I think that's why 798 is one of the more visited places when people come to Beijing, because there's so much there, so much feast for the eyes, really. I can tell that you love art so much because you're also recommending a place, Fang Chao Di. Yeah, Fang Chao Di. Fang Chao Di, right? It's a shopping center that's in the center of Beijing near the Silk Market. Yeah. And it's a modern building, a green building with a very unusual architecture that's full of art by famous artists uh, like uh, Salvador Dali, Mm -hmm. but also contemporary artists from China, Korea, and other places. So it's great there just to walk around these beautiful shops which are surrounded by beautiful art and art with a a sense of uh, of humor. Living Living humor, humor. yes. 
and you were also visiting professor of arts at Changsha Normal University. How come Changsha came into your your spectrum? I mean, why Changsha and why is the visiting professor of arts? It's because I was asked to give a lecture there, and I gave a lecture, uh, a long lecture, about how contemporary art can bring dead communities back to life. And uh, not that Changsha fits that description, but I um, talked about this area of Miami, Florida, called Wynwood, that used to be a no-go zone. In Wynwood, they celebrate graffiti and uh, public art on walls, and it's a major tourist attraction now because the best street artists in the world go to Wynwood. So this is a a tale of two cities and two approaches. So I gave a lecture there in uh, Changsha Normal and about how art could really make a miracle change of a dead city into a vibrant one. Having lived in Beijing for so long now, Harvey has been on as many adventures as he can in China. Last winter, he visited Northeast China's Harbin. It is known as the City of Ice in China because of its freezing winters. But few people know that Harbin has a deep historical relationship with Jewish people. During World War II, thousands of European Jews, fleeing war and persecution, were received by the hospitable residents of Harbin. Harvey said, He'd long known about the charm of its ice world, but it still took him 15 years to gather the nerve to finally go and set foot on that soil. All he can recall now is not its excruciatingly freezing temperature, but the overwhelming beauty of the ice displays. Now, I really know what cold is. But I still believe people should go to Harbin, and I resisted for 15 years to go there because uh, the temperature is so low. It got down to minus 25 centigrade when I was there, and I can tell you that's cold. Because there was no wind, it was tolerable, and it wasn't bad. And I brought many layers of clothes, and I didn't have to use all of them. But the first picture I saw of Harbin the first story about Harbin was on ABC World News Tonight with uh, our anchorman at the time, Peter Jennings, who did a lot of stories and came to China uh, several times. And uh, I always wanted to go to the ice festival in Harbin after seeing Peter's story on the national news. And so I got my chance. And I have to say that it was one of the most colorful experiences of my life that it's amazing what people can do with a block of ice or with a mound of snow the figures that they can make and because of the technology the way that they're lit up is so beautiful Mm. and colorful so the story you were telling me is that as long as we overcome our psychological barrier if we decided to go out of the comfort zone and the so-called box you know box think out of the box End result would be amazing sometimes, right? We need to build more bridges to each other, um, both on a human level, on a media level, and on every level, actually, because uh, we're going to need to do that. 
In this episode, Harvey shared his stories and connections with China. Next week, he will share his vision of the Sino-U.S. relationship in his capacity as a current affairs commentator. I'm Manling. Thank you for listening to our program. And if you liked it and want to listen to us again, just to find us on our website, ChinaPlus.cri.cn, and Apple Podcasts.